Praise God. We've been kindly going through a valley for the last few months, through that valley of the shadow of death. But ladies and gentlemen, we cannot be afraid. We must not fear because the Lord is our shepherd and he's guiding us and he will protect us and he will keep us. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. Woo. I'm going to turn this service to our evangelists right now. I'm excited to hear the Word of God tonight. Amen. Brother John, you come and minister to us tonight. Take your liberty in the Lord. And God's going to just do great things. Open up your hearts to receive the Word tonight. God bless you, brother. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And thank Him for already speaking to us. I am amazed. Some of you have had the privilege of being raised in church, but I am amazed just over these past 40 years I was not raised in the house of God and didn't get saved till I was almost 25 years old. And I have been amazed how every single service the Holy Spirit will take over at some place. He will start speaking to us in a direction that he wants to go that he knew about before the foundation of the world. Pastor got up tonight and he's talked about during preliminaries about that magnificent story. And it's not, it's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. Lazarus was dead. And Jesus said, come forth and call them by name. And a man who was dead for four days came out of the grave alive, just like we one of these days are gonna hear that same Jesus say, come up hither and the dead in Christ are gonna rise first and then all of us which are alive and remain. And he said that, and Lazarus came forth. Little did he know that the last song the young lady sang was about someone coming back from the dead. Little did they know it was just before church, my wife can tell you, I received an urgent phone call from North Carolina, from Bethel Church of God in North Carolina, and a young man by the name of Josh Wilson was in a four-wheeler accident Right before I came to church tonight, his has his he's hooked up the machinery right now, and it says that he's brain dead. And his family called us just before church, and he said, "Would you have the church tonight pray for God to raise our child from the dead? They're not going to make a decision to the morning. He may be brain dead right now, but we serve a God that can still raise the dead. We serve a God that will raise the dead." So right now, I said I'd do it, and I'm glad to do it. Let's join together like this young man, Josh Wilson, 13 years old, like he was our son, our brother, our relative. Let's join together right now and speak life into this child by the authority in the name of Jesus. Father God, I am so thankful that I'm in a spirit-filled, spirit-thrilled church that believes in the full counsel of God's word, that believes that you still save, you still deliver, and you still heal and they believe, God, that you can raise the dead. We speak life in the young Josh Wilson right now in Bethel, North Carolina. He may be dead as far as that machine says, but right now we release the resurrection power of Jesus Christ into that child right now as a testimony to you because only you can do such things. And in the name of Jesus, we pray right now that you will raise this young man from the dead for the glory of God the Father in the 
name of Jesus Christ the Son. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. Somebody shout hallelujah. I can just tell you, saints of God, when my friend asked me that, Cecil Reader called and told me about that urgent prayer request. I did not feel this urgency or, or that feeling of dread that you sometimes feel when you get a phone call and anybody that's ever had to do a death notification knows it's probably one of the most difficult things to do and when you get that phone call and you've got to go, it's, it is one of the most difficult things that you have to do. But when Cecil called me, I did not have that feeling that I would have to make a death notification. I did not sense that dread that you feel when you have to tell a loved one that their child is dead or their loved one is dead. Oh, saints of God, aren't you glad tonight that we serve a God that can raise people from the dead, that we serve a healing God tonight I am so glad, Pam, when we came to church tonight that I was reminded as we were driving, actually, she was driving, I was riding, I was reminded it's not by might. Hey, guys, it's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by God's spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. If you're talking about God raising somebody from the dead and you thought about doing it in the power of man or the ability of human beings or even the ability of the best doctors, and I thank God for good doctors, and I thank God for good nurses, because all good and perfect gifts come from above. Doctors are good. Nurses are good. They can treat the disease. They can help you, but all healing can only come from God. The perfect gift is the healing that comes from the stripes of Jesus Christ. Oh, I thank God tonight that I'm in a church that believes with all their heart what I'm about to say to you is my heart, and it's what gives power to every single service when the word of God is preached. I do not come to you tonight with enticing words of men's wisdom, but rather I come to you in the power of the Holy Ghost so that you're your faith would not be in man, but your faith would be in God himself. Somebody shout hallelujah. We serve a God tonight, a God that has no limitations. We serve a God of miracles. But I want to ask you a question before I bring this message, and I'm going to tell you something. During this service, you may very well be quickened by God to just quietly right where you are to stop and pray for this young man. God may do that to you tonight, and if he does, it won't bother me if you bow right there and, and make your seat an altar and make an intercession for this young man. If it was my child, I'd want someone to do that. If it was my loved one, how many of you right now can t testify that you're alive right now because somebody prayed for you, somebody touched heaven for you? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his miracle-working power. The first thing I want to ask you, because everything we receive from God, we receive it through relationship. We know that God is our Father, and we can approach Him and cry, Abba, Father, that we can come boldly to the throne room of grace and find help in the time of trouble. When the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, we see how powerful your ministry is, but we also see how powerful your prayer life is. And we know the results in your ministry publicly is a result of your private prayer life. Oh, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And he didn't say you had to pray it word for word, which is okay if you want to pray it word for word, but instead in like manner, pray ye. He said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Before you take one step farther, go ahead and praise his holy 
holy name. Go ahead and recognize his holiness and give him glory. Holy is thy name. In fact, right now, there are angels flying around the throne of God who for thousands of years have been crying, holy, 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 holy. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. But notice he said, our father. I have a lot more confidence when I need something big, when I need something that I know is gonna require sacrifice. I have a lot more confidence going to my father or going to your mother, that close relative that you know loves you. And how many remember when you would just, when your child would get sick, you would pick up that phone and call your mom or your father and ask prayer. It was automatic because, but thank God when Jesus was asked, teach us how to pray. He said, you're not going to someone that's aloof from you. You're not going to someone who doesn't know who you are. You're going to your heavenly father and you can address him, Pam, is our father, which art in heaven. He didn't say my father, which art in heaven, although he was Jesus and is Jesus' father. He said, now you're included, our father, which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Aren't you glad tonight that you can pray to your father? You see, it's important. It will build our faith because everything we receive from God, we receive it through relationship. When we got saved, we became a child of God. We were not changed, pastor. We were transformed. We became a new creature in Christ Jesus. We now have the privilege of calling him father by name. We have the privilege of identifying as a child of God, as a member of the royal family. Somebody shout hallelujah. If that's all God ever did for us, it did make us a new creature and allow us to go to heaven. He would be worthy of praise from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. He'd be worthy of praise from this moment on and forevermore would somebody praise him right now for adopting you into the family of God. So saints of God, we know, but it's important because everything we receive by God, we receive through relationship and we receive by faith. You can't receive anything from God without faith. Everything you got saved by faith through grace, it was a gift of God, but not of yourself, lest any man should boast. So sometimes we need to remind ourselves who we are in God, because it's one of the greatest faith builders that you can have in your life. When you really recognize that you are a child of God, and according to Revelation 5 and verse 10, that he has made you a king and priest already, that you may reign on this earth. Somebody shout hallelujah and give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you would. So we need to know who we are in Christ Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 3, or chapter 2, verse 9, it reads like this. And then give the PowerPoint person a hand. Because isn't it a lot easier just to glance up here and read this off the screen than to, I'm getting a little bit older. And even though I've got a giant print Bible, when I read it back at the motel room, I put my reading glasses on. Aren't you glad you can just glance up here and great big bold letters? Give the PowerPoint person a hand back there for making it so much easier to preach tonight. This is the word of God about you and I, who we are. How many are thankful that you're a child of God? How many are grateful? If, you, if you're thankful you're a child of God, Jesus raised two hands for you and they were nailed to that cross. Would you raise two hands for Jesus right now? Thank you for paying the price for my salvation. And through that salvation, this is just part 
of what we got. Oh, yes, our sins got forgiven. Our name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We were forgiven and granted eternal life. We, he, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. But that was just the beginning. That was just the beginning of our walk with God. Because we're saved, the Bible says, but ye are our chosen generation. How many are glad that God chose you? That call, God called you out of darkness. How many are glad that God looked down on the planet earth and said, hey, brother Rick Hensley, I don't want you to go to hell when you were a sinner. He said, Rick Hensley, I'm calling you to be a child of God. I'm calling you to be a preacher of the gospel. And you answered that call and there was an instantaneous transformation in his life. Somebody shout hallelujah. But you are a chosen generation. And I believe like I have never believed before that for an hour such as this, I believe the only hope, now I'm gonna vote in the election because I have the right and the privilege as an American and people prayed for, greatly for that right and privilege. So I'm not gonna let it go to waste. I'm gonna exercise all my rights and I'm gonna vote. But how many you know that the only one that can solve the problems of this nation and the problems of this world is God? Now, he may do it through a man, and he may raise up a leader and call you and I to vote that leader in the office so that he can use them to bring answers and solutions. But let me tell you something, saints of God. I know that the only answer that for our problems today is God, and ye are chosen generation for an hour such as this. This pandemic did not take God by surprise. The world's condition of civil unrest and the worldly unrest did not take God by surprise. And he said, I've got to choose a special generation of Christians to be serving me in these perilous times. It was like Sister Esther for an hour such as this. And we tell that Bible story, and it's a great Bible story, but the reality is the entire future of the nation of Israel rested on the shoulders of that young lady obeying the voice of God. And she had her problem because she knew that if she went to the king and he, because he did not summon her, he might have her executed for coming unsummoned. So she had this problem. She said, what if he decides to kill me? And then she was reminded by Mordecai the Jew, oh, Esther, remember where God bought you from and where you're at right now? You don't think he did all that just to bless you. Now, he did bless you, and he wants to bless you, but for an hour such as this, he put you in position. He put you in the palace. He gave you favor with the king for an hour such as this. Somebody shout hallelujah. And I believe without a, without a doubt that the churches that are hearing the voice of the Holy Ghost right now have become aware that for an hour such as this, that God is looking to a chosen generation. You're up to the task. If you yield to the Holy Ghost and the power of God's word, you are up to the task. How do you know that? Because you are hand chosen by God himself. When God picks you to do something, you cannot fail if you yield. Oh, come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Ye, but ye are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, you could be a priest or you could be a king, but you couldn't be both. <laughs> now, now, David did do the work of the priest for a short period of time in an emergency situation, but he didn't declare himself a priest. 
But God did more for us than he did for King David or Jeremiah or Isaiah, the great prophets of old. He says, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You've been made kings and priests. You're not just a child of God. You're not just an heir of salvation, but also you are a priest. That means you can make sacrifices of praise. That means you can make intercession for the people. That means you, oh, come on, somebody shout hallelujah. So you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. I love America. I love this country. I believe we live in the greatest country on the planet Earth. I believe I've been all over the world and every nation I've ever went to all over the world, there were people begging for me to take them home with me. And if I could have, I would have, but I couldn't. Saints of God, we live in the greatest nation on the planet Earth. I love this country. My father had three Purple Hearts in World War II. He was there at Normandy, has a Purple Heart from the beaches of Normandy. My brother has a Purple Heart from Vietnam. I honor our veterans. honor the police officers of our country that risk their lives every single day to keep us safe and listen to what I'm saying but I am a we are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation and the best way I can describe it is I'm an American and I'm thankful for being American and I thank God every day I live in the most blessed country on the planet earth but we are a nation within a nation. We're an American, but we're part of a holy nation, one that's going to be eternal. So we're a nation within a nation. We are an American, but we also are Christians. That makes us a part of a holy nation. Somebody shout hallelujah. You are a peculiar people. I didn't used to like this verse in the, or this part of this scripture because over the years under the anointing, that to the carnal man or to the flesh, I might have done something that seemed a little weird at the time. How many of you have ever been under the influence of the Holy Ghost? And if a person would have walked in at just the right moment, for me, I call it the right moment, but if someone that wasn't familiar with Pentecost walked in, they'd look at you, scratch your head. They're going to be wondering what you've been drinking. They've been wondering, might be wondering what you've been smoking. And from my past, what I'm trying to say to you, when they would walk in and they would see us under the influence of the Holy Ghost, they would not understand what's going on. But aren't you glad that when we get under the influence of the Holy Ghost, how many know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you might find yourself dancing. Sometimes you might find yourself shouting when the Holy Ghost takes over sirs oh take over Holy Ghost pour out your spirit fill this house tonight with your fire oh God let out of my belly flow rivers of living water producing life and health in everyone that it's how many know when the Holy Ghost takes over supernatural things begin to happen but to the natural man when they see the Holy Ghost take over they don't understand it they look at you and they may think there's been times when I preach that I'd go to dancing. There'd be other times I would preach and God would have me do something that was a little bit unusual. And, and they, they, they used to call me Jumping John. And now I'm 64 and had a neck surgery and so I'm Hopping John. And uh, I don't go quite as high as I used to go. But when they call me Jumping John, they call me that for a good reason. Because I would jump and dance around pretty much from the start of church to the end of church. 
That's what God called me to do, to be an evangelist. And, and, and so because of that, just not often, but you know, don't ever say something to somebody at church if you don't want it to get back to the person you're talking about. Because God will make sure. Let me tell you something. God will make sure that it gets back to that person. Because God, let me tell you something. I, I'm, not, I'm just saying this for somebody's good here. Probably don't apply to anybody right now, but sooner or later it's going to apply to you. If that person would talk bad about your pastor to you, what do you think they do how they talk about you when you're not around. If they don't have enough fear to touch the anointed of God, then they're not going to be afraid. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. <laughs> but because of the anointing and the way that God's ways are not man's ways, and when the Holy Ghost moves, everything changes in our lives. I've, over the years, I've, I've been accused of being crazy. I know that you shock you, don't it? I've been accused of having a screw loose. Just, I was accused of being too emotional just a couple of years ago. And I'm not saying that the pat pity myself because it, it, it's so far behind me, I don't, I'm only bringing it up to let you know where I'm at. I had a preacher. Now, I have been known once in a while to be just a little bit long-winded. Because I just assume everybody loves the Bible like I love the Bible. And, 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 and I don't do it on purpose. I get caught up in the word and get caught up in the anointing. I get caught up in the flow. And I want, God, Jesus said, Simon Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Then he comes again and says, Simon Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Then he says it again, Simon Peter. And now you can tell that Peter was getting annoyed with the master. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Now don't worry, I won't, not, I won't throw the whole, 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 whole truckload of hay out tonight. But I've got a word from the Lord. And, and so sometimes you, get a little, you, sometimes you can get a little bit long-winded. And, because I love God's word. And, and I try to study to show myself approved. And, and Brother Hensley can tell you, it's, it's hard to know when to cut it off when you study and prepare a message and you can go farther and deeper in it. And, but I had a preacher say to some of his members that were saying, please book Brother John. Have Brother John come. He said, I can't book him. I won't book him. Because all that guy does is shout and dance around. He don't preach the Bible. He don't preach. All he does is shout, get everybody shouting, and goes home. So I'm not going to have somebody just get people shouting and go home. Now, I may be guilty of being a long-winded person once in a while, but you know that I don't try just to get you shouting and send you home. I believe in the preaching of God's word, for God will not allow his word to return void. But that person's perception of me obviously came from somebody else because he would know he's not a liar. I don't believe he's a liar, but he would know that I preached the word of God. So for whatever reasons... Over the years, some people have accused me of being a little odd, a little strange. It maybe never happened to you. Maybe, when the, maybe nobody's ever said that about you. But, but because of that, I used to, to really cringe when I got to that word. You are a peculiar people. It's almost like God is giving them permission 
to call me weird. <laughs> Are you know what I'm saying? And, and, and I would get to that word peculiar and I would speed up my reading so that I could pass it right away so I didn't have to really meditate on what it was saying. And uh, because I, I, it felt a little personal. And, you know, it must be true. If they say I'm a little bit weird, peculiar, and God says I'm peculiar, then I'm peculiar. But then God said, son, look up the word peculiar. And I looked up the word peculiar in the Hebrew, I mean in the Greek, and I was so thankful that God called you peculiar and God called me peculiar. The word peculiar means that you are God's special treasure. You're that piece of jewelry. <laughs> and if you study it to the original root Greek word there, you're such special treasure that the crown that God himself will wear for eternity. You're such a special treasure to him that you're one of those stones in that crown. Somebody shout hallelujah. So your perception of who you are in God changes many things. You are a holy nation, a special people, my special treasure. I treasure you so much, I'm gonna place you in my crown that I'm gonna wear for eternity. You are the crown that God is going to wear. That's how much you mean to him. You are a peculiar people that we should show forth praises of him who have called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I talked about it last night, but I think I'm gonna say it again tonight. God loves to see people get saved. If you want to see God happy with something you're doing, witness to somebody tomorrow because God loves to see people get saved. And right now, people are ready to be saved. They're scared. They don't know what to do. They need help. They know the world's in trouble and they're looking for answers. Thank God we got the answer. Jesus is the answer. The word of God is the answer. So, so when you share Jesus with somebody, there's nothing that pray pleases God more than seeing somebody get saved. So God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that between now and heaven, we can show forth praises unto God, not just in worship in the house of God, but through obedience in our life. The highest form of praise is not a shout or a dance. It's obedience. We can show forth praise because we're so in love with Jesus that Pam, every time we run into somebody, oh, can I tell you about my Jesus? Can I tell you how good my Jesus is? Can I tell you how much Jesus loves me? See, when you're in love with somebody, you can't help but talk about them. When you're in love with somebody, that's why he warns us from time to time to return to our first love because when you're in love with somebody, you want everybody to know about that person and you talk about them to her, to everyone you go to, depending on your gender. Aren't you glad tonight that God called you out of darkness to live in his mind? Aren't you glad tonight that God wants to call countless millions of others out of darkness tonight to walk in his marvelous life? Somebody shout hallelujah. So I'm convinced that God wants everyone to be saved. I'm convinced that God loves everyone. And I'm convinced that one of God's highest priority is for us to be a witness and see others be saved like we were saved through someone's witness. I believe with all my heart 
Brother Hensley, if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't take these mission trips to the Congo and Sudan and Uganda and go back over and over again. I wouldn't go to India, to Karachi to and Delhi and Mumbai and parts of India that hates Christianity if I didn't believe that it was God's desire to save those people in India and to save those people in Africa. I wouldn't go on those mission trips if I didn't believe in my heart that it's God's desire that none should perish but that all should come to everlasting life. But how will they be saved? Unless they hear. And how will they hear? Unless a preacher preaches and then of course he's sent. I'm not going that direction like with an offering or something, but I'm explaining how we all have a role to play in the salvation of the world. So we know tonight it's God's desire for none to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. We know it's God's desire for our loved ones to be saved. We know it's God's desire for everyone that used to come to church that's backslid tonight, that may have even harmed the church on the way out the door. That is still God's desire for them to be saved. Now, knowing that God has given us this, this tremendous task of bringing this message to the world, that we were chosen for this. We are the chosen generation for an hour such as this, for the saving of this nation. Because the biggest peril facing the people of this world today is not COVID. The biggest peril is not socialism, although it's a terrible peril. The biggest peril is most of them are lost and dying and going to hell and they don't know it. And somebody needs to tell them the truth about salvation. So understand where my heart is tonight. The question is, how do you and I, this church, take this enormous calling of the Lord, which we know he's equipped us to do, or he wouldn't have chosen us in this generation to be here right now for an hour such as this, how do we take this gospel with all the shutdowns and everything that's going on in the world to the four corners of the earth? I think the way to do it is to recognize who we really are in him. We know we're God's child. We know that we are a royal priesthood. We know that we are special treasure to him. But what else are we? What role do we play what, what properties do we have here on the planet Earth today that can bring people to salvation across the four corners of this world? Well, God has called us to be the salt of the earth. You and I go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through verse 12. This revival... I think in many ways. Now, Wednesday night's going to be a powerful miracle service. Tomorrow night's going to be a powerful miracle service. But people can be saved, so bring the loss with you. But I think this, this revival, my role in this is, was an equipping from the office of an evangelist. God is going to remind us that we are something very special and needful to the world today. That we are the salt of the earth. It says, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. How many are glad? Aren't you, don't you feel blessed when someone persecutes you? How many of you, no, no. But when you got saved, though, did you find out pretty quick that persecution comes with salvation? How many of you had family members turn on you, treat you horrible because you became a child of God? 
We all went through that experience. So we know that persecution comes with Christianity. But we also know that blessings come with Christianity. And I can tell you, there's a lot more blessing than there is persecution. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Now, having said that, it is official that Christians are now the largest minority in the world. It is also, did you know that Christians are the most persecuted minority on the planet Earth? Did you know that on the average day, now we're not getting information out of communist China. We're not getting information out of third world countries that do things and just dump bodies. And, and I saw it all over Africa, just along the road. But every day on average, 11 Christians that we know of are martyred for the faith. That means on an average week, 77 Christians will give their lives for Jesus Christ somewhere in this world. I'll guarantee you that's something you're not going to see on the news tonight. I guarantee you, you won't even see that on Fox News tonight. But let's give the Lord thanks and let's thank God for men and women that are willing to lay down their lives for the gospel. We as official Christians are the largest minority and the most persecuted minority on the planet Earth. We're not just persecuted physically, but in America, that persecution takes a more subtle route. In America, they, they portray Christians like Hollywood. Whenever they have a Christian in a movie, that Christian is some kind of a nutcase or um, peculiar, yeah. And if they don't have the Christian in the movie as a nutcase and peculiar, they'll make the Christian the villain. And they're whacking people for Jesus. And of course, you don't do that. And if they don't make the person a villain, you know, my wife and I, once in a while, we'll watch Golden Girls. It ain't my particular choice, but you know, I love my bride. And you know, there's Rose Nyland. And I guess I watch Golden Girls, I'd watch it just to watch Rose Nyland. And Rose Nyland is the one that's the kindest, most moral, she never cusses. She tries to do what's right all the time. The, the other three are not at all like her. But after she does the right thing and the moral thing and the right thing all the time, how do they portray Rose Nyland in the show? They portray her as a dimwit. They portray her as somebody that's not particularly bright. Let me tell you something. The, let me tell you something. Over the 40 years I've been an evangelist, I've had the privilege of meeting a lot of preachers in my early days that couldn't even read or write and preach the gospel successfully for years and years and plant a church. And even though they couldn't read and write, they were some of the most intelligent people I ever met in my life because they knew God and they knew him deeply. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So understand, persecution comes with living for God. If you stand up today as a Christian and you say, you know, you know, I oppose fornication, you would be shocked, saints of God, the amount of times over the last couple of years that I've gone up in pulpits of spirit-filled churches and proclaimed that you can't be shacking up and go to heaven. You can't be living with somebody and not be married to them and, not, and go, you, 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 that, that's fornication. 
And you'd be shocked the amount of people that have come to me and told me how wrong I was, that the pre past some of them were on the praise team, not here, but I've been in churches, they were on the praise team for years. And the pastor didn't even know they were living together. Had four or five children while attending that church. And the pastor didn't know. And they, you know what? And you'd be surprised how many times I performed wedding ceremonies in the pastor's office after church because they realized that what they were doing was wrong. But they didn't realize it until they were told. But if you, if you say it's wrong to shack up, then you're being judgmental. If you, if you, if you oppose gay marriage then you're a homophobe, whatever that means. And, and if you're pro-life, you're sexist. And if you're, oh, this ought to make the ladies godly angry in this room. If you're a woman that's pro-life, then, then, then you're controlled by your husband. It's like they're insulting your intelligence. They're telling you that you're not intelligent enough to make a decision about the life of a baby inside a woman's room on your own without your husband telling you what to do. That's an insult to every woman everywhere. Someone shout hallelujah. So we live in a world where in America you're persecuted in a more subtle manner and it's getting less subtle every day, isn't it? And if we don't rise up, and if we don't get as radical as the bad ones are right now, it's time for the church to rise up and get just as radical for Jesus as they are for the devil right now. It's time for us to have a revival. <laughs> Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteous, righteous sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, you're gonna, I'm going to bless you on earth. I'll give you joy and it more abundant that, that your joy may be full but I'm going to bless you with eternal life in heaven. But notice voice number 11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. If you make up your mind to become an active witness and get into that active, saints of God, God has spoke to me. It is an indictment against the body of Christ that the devil can organize those people by the tens, I don't care if it's George Soros giving them the money. I don't care if the money's coming from billionaires. I refuse to believe that the devil can organize his people better than God can organize his people. And I think it's time for God's people to rise up and be heard. And we're not gonna be violent. We're not gonna burn down buildings. We're not gonna be a mob, but we're gonna build people's lives. But it's time for the church to rise up and not be silent in this day. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you. This is coming from a man that's gonna die on the cross and say shall all manners of evil against you falsely for my sake. So he starts talking. Now notice verse number 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for, for the great is your reward in heaven for, for so persecuted the prophets which were before you. Now, let's go back to verse nine. Matthew chapter five. Mm, somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Mm.
I've lost my place. Can you believe that? That's not possible, is it? <laughs> no, I'm going, no, I'm going. Blessed are ye. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manners of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which are, were before you. Now in verse 13, this is what God wants to say to us. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its favor, wherein shall it be, shall it be good? Shall it be, be good for salted? Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if, 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 if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trotted under the foot. So God says that you are the salt of the earth. And as long as you're a salty Christian, you're valuable to the kingdom of God. And if you lose your salt or your flavor, then you become good for nothing. And why is that? Because today we tend to think of salt as a common commodity. But when Jesus made this statement, the nearest place where you could find large quantities of salt was a, a place called the Salt Mounds, and it was seven miles the other side of the Dead Sea. So if a person wanted salt, they'd have to go seven miles past the Dead Sea to get large quantities of salt. So salt was very valuable. It was very hard to get. It was hard to collect. It was hard to transport. It was never wasted. It was never, it was always something that people cherished to have. So when God said that we were the salt of the earth, he was saying that you're very valuable to the planet earth. You're important to the planet earth. You're important right now for what I want to do. You are the salt of the earth. Somebody shout hallelujah. The other place you could gather salt was a place, a place called the salt marshes around the Dead Sea. And you would, and you would, have to, you would literally just get gallons of salt and just try to work a tablespoon or a couple spoons of actual physical salt out of all this water. It would take a tremendous amount of work. And then you could find a little bit of salt in some of the salt pits near the Dead Sea. So in order to get salt in the days of Jesus, the people hearing this knew that salt was very valuable. They knew it was difficult to obtain. It knew it was something to be cherished. And they knew that it was essential for life or probably essential even to survive that salt was that important. So when Jesus said these words, it was something different than it would mean to us today. Because today, you and I can go into most any store that sells food, any store that sells food, and we can buy salt off the, off the counter, any store. And because of that, we, we, as a, we are so blessed that every one of us has salt in, in our house, because I looked at the word salt here, and it pretty much means the same thing as the English word for salt. But the difference was then, salt was very difficult to get and very valuable. Now it's accessible to everyone. So when Jesus called them the salt of the earth, the listener knew that they were something rare, that they were something important, they were something that were absolutely necessary for survival of people to have a blessed life and even to survive. So they recognized that what Jesus was saying about them. And why is the salt or salt so important? 
First of all, the first reason why salt was so valuable is salt was used as a preservative. Because of the hot weather in Jerusalem and Israel, they would have to, because they didn't have refrigeration and stuff, when they would butcher an animal, the only way they could preserve the meat, and because of the hot weather, the meat would rot very quickly if they didn't do this. They would have to rave, rub large concentrates of salt upon the meat to stop it from rotting and corrupting. Now, when I was a little boy, I grew up in a family of 10 children. I remember my dad and my uncle Roy, even though we lived in Chicago, there was an old smokehouse in the alley or near the alley, and they got half a hog. And I don't know where they got the half a hog in Chicago, but they did. And we went out there, and I'd go every day, and I'd watch my Uncle Roy and my dad rub salt into that half a hog every single day. Then they'd hang it up. They never even lit up the smokehouse there. There was no smoke. That smoking process was not done. They just preserved it with salt. Did it work, Brother John? Let me tell you something. All winter long, they would send me out there when breakfast come and told me to cut some ham off that hog. All winter long, we feasted off that hog. Why? Because salt worked as a preservative. And in the day of Jesus, the listener knew it was salt that was rubbed into the meat so it wouldn't corrupt or rot by the environment of this world. When God said that we are the salt of the earth, God said, you're the ones that I'm going to use, the influence because I'm in you and you're in me the influence you have in me I'm going to use you to stop the corruption and the rotting that's going on in the world today I'm going to use you to bring attention to people about the dangers of some of those things so salt was valuable because it was used as a preservative and it prevented corruption and everything from rotting so we are the salt of the earth and God is saying I am using you and I have filled you with my spirit and the influence I've given you through me in this world. You can use that influence to stop corruption. You can then use that influence to stop the evil and the rotting that corruption causes. The second thing that the people that were listening to the words of Jesus, when he called them salt, they recognized the meaning. You and I wouldn't see it today because we don't use salt today like they used it then. Most cases, salt, secondly, is a flavor enhancer. When it comes, my son-in-law likes to cook, me not so much. But the number one spice, I, I'm pretty sure this is right, even though I don't do much cooking, the number one spice has to be salt. I mean, I'm one of those guys, I've got to have salt on everything. I noticed the first lady likes spices on her hot dogs when she eats them. And normally when I get my food, I add a little salt to it. Thank God, thank heaven for sea salt. Someone say, hallelujah. But salt adds flavor to everything it touches. And so as we as Christians, what Jesus is saying, the chosen generation, how can we win such a corrupt world? How, how can we make a change in our such a corrupt environment? Because you're a salty Christian. 
And you have power to stop corruption. You have power to stop things from rotting. You're a salty Christian. You add flavor everywhere you go. As Christians, when we go somewhere, we need to leave a good taste in people's lives. As You know what I've learned? Everybody needs, every good meal needs a little pinch of love, a little pinch of joy, a little pinch of peace, and a whole lot of salt. Somebody give the Lord a hand. Yeah. We ought to leave a good, we, we, Christians are what gives this world flavor. Christians is what makes this world taste good. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. The third thing that salt did was salt was used in the day of Jesus in the ancient time of the Bible as an antiseptic. It was not unusual during the times of Jesus that when a disease or a virus broke out in a community. They would take all the people that were sick and take them to a place and they would leave people there to care for them. Then they would empty the village and they would send a crew back to scrub it down with salt. And after they scrubbed everything down with salt, they would bring everybody back to the village and it worked as an antiseptic and almost every single time they did that, the disease was wiped out. The virus was wiped out. Now, I don't know how we could take this salt and rub it all over the, this virus pandemic all over the world, but I know by the power of the Holy Ghost that God can make you and I salt shakers in the hand of the Holy Ghost and pour that salt on this pandemic. And saints of God, I've seen them do the same thing today in Africa. And terrible bacteria and diseases and viruses were wiped away simply by the application of salt. So salt can be used as an antiseptic to destroy viruses. Oh, come on, somebody. We are the salt of the earth. God Greater is he that's in us than he, God has given us the ability to be used as the antiseptic in the hands of the Holy Ghost to be applied against this fire. I believe with all my heart that God can bring healing to this thing through the body of Christ. In fact, I know without a doubt that God, Jesus, is the only one that can heal this disease. And he's gonna do it through us. This is an equipping night. Salt was used in medical healing salt was used in medicine during the times of war some of, some of you my dad was in World War II some of you may have had relatives that served in World War I but I was reading something about the Civil War and because um, my wife is really interested in that time period of history I was reading about the Civil War and I found out that salt was used for medicine if a soldier got wounded on the battlefield and the wound was a severe wound, they would take that soldier and pour large quantities of salt directly in the wound. Immediately, the salt would kill the germs. Immediately, the salt would kill the infection. Immediately, the salt would stop the bleeding and the salt would speed up the healing process. When Jesus said that we're the salt of the earth, he was saying that I've put within you the ability to lay hands on the sick and see the sick recover. I've put in you, you're the medicine of this world. You're the people I've chosen to bring healing to sick people. So, somebody shout hallelujah. 
So salt is a healing agent. And salt, now this I find to be very interesting. Salt had protective, or in people's mind, had protective properties. When Jesus made this statement that we were the salt of the earth, the known world at the time was under Roman, the under Roman empires, well, they just had control of the entire world. And the Jewish people were under Roman occupation. So when, they, when, when he used that we're the salt of the earth, they not only thought about the applications in their culture of how salt preserves things, how salt has medical properties and antiseptic, but also they thought about what salt meant to the Romans. You see, the Romans were pagans, and the Romans worshiped pagan gods. Now, I don't want to even compare Christianity to paganism. I, I'm not even putting it in the same, it, 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 there's, there's, there's no comparison. But we need to understand how the Romans thought because what they thought they hoped would work for them, we know will work for us. The Romans believed in paganism. They had no, their gods offered them no protection. And because they were pagans taken with superstition, they believed that salt had protective, magical, protective properties about it, that salt was magical. And because of that, the Romans would buy, when that baby was born, the Romans would take that newborn baby and rub their entire body. Now, we don't do that today, and we shouldn't do this today, but they would rub that entire baby down because they believed that that salt would prevent evil spirits from entering that child. The Romans believed this so much that they would buy large quantities of salt and they would put it around all the doors of their house. They would put it around their windows. Their application was wrong. They had their faith in the wrong thing, some physical salt, some pagan superstition. But we can learn from what, where they were wrong because they would put salt around their house Salt around their business, salt if they were community leaders, salt around their entire city or village as much as possible. There was never too much salt being applied because they believed that salt was the only thing that could prevent evil spirits from coming in and doing harm. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Aren't you glad that he gave us the power to cast out devils, to speak with new tongues? I give you authority over evil spirits. You are chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. There's a bunch of evil spirits moving all over this country right now, but I give you power and authority over those spirits because greater is he that is in you than he is in this world. You have protective properties in you. Because we're in Christ and Christ is in us. We can apply our faith in him to any situation, to our homes, to our children. And Jesus will act as a protective agent in their life. Aren't you glad tonight? that if you got a lost child right now, that you're the salt of the earth and don't just pray for them to get saved, apply some salt to them for right now to keep them safe, to keep them protective. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. Because the Romans bleed in a superstition. We believe in a living God. It is he that makes us the salt of the earth and salt has protective properties to it. Salt, now this is important. How many of you want to have a blessed life?
How many of you want to prosper? How many want to prosper beyond your wildest dreams? Let me see your hands. We all want to prosper. It was believed or salt was used as a fertilizer in the days of Jesus. In fact, it's true to this day that you can apply a small amount of salt to any soil and it improves the property of that soil. It makes that soil more fertile. It causes a bigger crop, a more abundant crop, a healthier crop, a more disease-resistant crop. Now, you don't go out there and pour the whole bag of salt on your flower bed because it will have the opposite result. But salt in its right measure in the soil produced tremendous harvest. It caused you to be productive. So when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, if you will walk in me and walk in my word and walk in the power of the Holy Ghost and walk in faith, you will have a productive life. You will have a blessed life. You will have production. You will produce the harvest in your future. Now listen to this, saints. And they believe that just even a small application of salt and I learned this myself just recently. My bride, who's here tonight, I was planting a bunch of flowers. Hey, Pam, did you notice how beautiful the flowers were when we were at the house? And you know those annuals you bought, they were just little bitty, they were about that big. They're like this now. I don't even know if you know what you did, but you bought four bags of something. And I'm really into gardening. You can ask my wife. I love planting roses and stuff. And she bought me these four bags and it was something I'd never used before. I'm a miracle grow guy, you know? Get it over with quick. <laughs> and she bought me these four bags. And I read the directions on it. And the word for what was in the bag was this great big long word that I can't even pronunciate. But it said, take two tablespoons of what's in that bag and put it around every new planting. Now, I've grown these flowers for years, and I ain't never seen anything half this big ever in my lifetime. They have just exploded in growth. So I did what the instructions on the back said, and I put two tablespoons around each new planting, just like it's said to do, and now we have these enormous flowers everywhere that have grown because salt can be used as a fertilizer to make you productive and prosperous. Oh, saints of God, let me tell you now. I went back to that bag looking at what was left in the final bag, and I'm saying, what's in here that's even better than miracle Girl? What's in here that's better than cow manure? What's, and I, I mean, I've used every kind of fertilizer you can imagine. And I went back to that great big word, and I looked it up, and I found out something. That that I could not pronunciate if you put a gun to my head right now and say, either say it or die, you might as well pull the trigger. That great big word was just a great big foreign word for common salt. The number one agent inside that special fertilizer was salt. And I saw what salt can do. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. I want to ask you a question. Do you want to be a salty Christian? Do you want God to use you as a healing agent, as a protecting agent, as an as a anti or as a disinfecting agent? Do you want God to use you to stop the corruption in this world? Do you want God? 
If you want to be a salty, if you want to be a salty Christian, just stand up right now across this room. You're the salt of the earth. Now listen, listen. Why, why aren't every church in America having revival right now? Well, what's going on? Because if the salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing. One of the ways you know that you're losing your savor is you lose your hunger for God. You lose your hunger and your passion for the Holy Ghost. And, and, and how many of you want to be that salty Christian that everywhere you go, according to the words of Jesus, because of him being in you and you in him, that you bring protection everywhere you go and that you can proclaim protection over every household. How many want to be that person that God can use as a healing agent when somebody's sick? How many want to be that Christian that can be used as an antiseptic to be applied to that bacteria called sin and that virus called sin on the planet and just wipe it out? How many believe that as a salt of the earth that Jesus could wipe out this pandemic by using us as a salt of the earth, as healing agents right now. I've come to tell you tonight, if you want to be a salty Christian, I'm going to ask you, and if you can't stand, you can come and sit on these front rows. But if you want to be a salty Christian, just come right now because God is going to use us as salt, I believe with all my heart, to bring healing. God is going to heal this virus through the church. God's the one that's going to bring a healing. Now, he may give it to some doctor somewhere, but it's going to come from the body of Christ. If you want to be a salty Christian, step out of your seat right now and come forward just quickly. You're the salt of the earth. The only reason why I'm asking you to come, you say, well, Brother John, if God made me salt, then why would I have to come and be prayed for in the altar to be a salty Christian? Because the same God who said, but if the salt has lost its savor. So I'm going to make you salt, but I depend on you to maintain that by staying close to by staying filled with the Holy Ghost. Somebody raise your hands right now and say, Lord, I want to be a salty Christian. I want, to be a, I want to be an agent of healing. I want to be an agent of, that protects people. I want to be used that you can use me as salt to deal with the corruption of this world. Oh, God, make me a salty Christian. I need... You are the salt of the earth. <laughs>